All right, Addison, you ready? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm ready. Right. What is going on, everybody? It's another episode of the Rocky on the Rise. And ladies and gentlemen, I brought ourselves a hell of a ghost. We have a heavy, hip, heavy hitter from DLF. I almost did it again, dang it, but I did it. We're doing our second take because Addison's lucky enough to help me out. How you doing today, man? Great. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you for, for asking me to come on here. Uh, you know, this is the first stuff I've, I've been doing post-draft, uh, you know, ever. I, well, not ever, but like this year so far. Like, you're getting me before I've even done anything for deal of YouTube content. So uh, we're, we're here. We're ready to go. And, and I'm excited to talk about these rookies post-draft. I'm excited as well, and I'm I'm thankful that you made some time for us. For those of us or those folks that don't aren't aware of like who you are, what you do, do you want to see a little quick summary about kind of what you're all about? Uh, sure. Yeah, uh, I I'm a writer, not really a writer, uh, more YouTuber, uh, tools guy for DLF Dynasty League Football dot com. Uh, so if you check out their YouTube channel, a lot of those videos are going to be me. Um, and then also do a lot of stuff with the tools and the apps that we have on DLF. I write every now and then. It's not really my uh, my most favorite thing to do. That's why I'm more on the YouTubes and stuff. Uh, and uh, that's basically it. I'm an analytics guy, not really a film guy. Um, so I mean, uh, film's got its place, but I don't I don't know what I'm doing when I watch that. So I'm, I'm going to stay in my lane, stick with the analytics, and that's what you're probably going to get from me today. I I I appreciate that. Because everyone, I feel like a lot of people are either, I'm super against film because no one knows what they're talking about, or they're like, I know everything, which is why I like the film. And I'm just like, can I just not like, or not know film, so be happy with the numbers? Because I get those. I'm comfortable with that. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. So I, I feel like <clears throat> it's it's important to ask my uh, my guest a very random question that kind of opens the uh, the world's eyes a little bit to who you are as an individual. So the question for my show or for the show today is what was one thing that your family did that you thought was normal, but you later learned was not normal. <laughs> um, oh man, do I have to, I have to kind of think on this one. This is, uh, this is a little bit. What is something that my family does that I thought was normal, but that actually found out, wasn't normal yeah like for for instance for me when we eat uh what's it called artichoke we put our artichoke in we, we dip them in mayonnaise and then i found later that that is not a normal thing to do and i grew <laughs> up that way i thought that was very normal or like we'll put mac and cheese or we'll put tuna fish in our mac and cheese stuff like that oh my god what is wrong <laughs> you said first of all, when we eat artichoke i'm like who eats artichoke that's like the first <laughs> thing that came to my mind Maybe that's the thing that my family doesn't. We we don't eat artichoke. Is that that's is that fair. normal? Is I, that I, not normal? I'm not sure what normal is, but that is something that I will accept as our show. I, I will accept that absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I can't because um, I don't know because I feel like I'm pretty I'm pretty good. Um, I mean, I recently just got married, so like my wife and I are figuring out different things that we've done growing up, like differently and stuff. Like when she folds the laundry, she likes to put every sock with its partner and then like roll it up so it's together. And I just grab all my socks and throw it into my drawer. Like that's just, (laughs) I don't really do a whole lot of that. Um, She yells at me whenever I don't put the, like the hand towel back on the stove, right? 
and it's yeah. like for her right is folded in half and it's just like perfectly placed in the center of that stove of the stove okay um, mine is my family always did um all like fully out and you just it's placed on there and you're yeah. good to go no, i don't know like that's perfect that's perfect because <laughs> that's what we, i'm talking about yeah that's um it's been really fun because um you know we dating and stuff like that we we ha- we learn about each other but then when you start to live together for the first time like you're all of those little oddities and differences really really come out whenever <laughs> you're both trying to just live together and you, you're used to one thing but then the other person does something different so it's it's been really fun. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations on your marriage, by the way. And uh, it, for Thank those of you that aren't lucky enough to live with your partner just yet, how you fold laundry is a very controversial topic. So prepare yes. for that because that is a battle you're not prepared for that you will take many times over. Me yeah, and my girlfriend fir- have the exact same thing. <laughs> the first couple of weeks, she started to do my laundry. Uh, and I've been doing my laundry since I was like a freshman in high school by myself. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so she was like, oh, I'm going to do it. We're just going to do it all. But then she yelled at me because when I take off my clothes and throw it in the laundry basket, like all my clothes are inside out. Like I just I have no mm-hmm. care in the world and I just throw it all into the laundry basket and I do it all whites and colors and everything together. Hell yeah. And um, and so she yelled at me pretty hard uh, <laughs> and, and like tried to teach me her way of how she wanted it done so that she could do. And I after about a month of that, I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to do it by myself. I don't mm-hmm. I'm just, I uh I'm the same boat I don't do I don't I don't separate the colors in the wash and uh I accidentally dyed one of my girlfriend's shirts pink and ever (laughs) since then I'm doing everything myself and I'm comfortable with that but you know as as much as I do enjoy talking about the oddities the uh the good people are here to talk about the fantasy football impacts of this draft which I don't know about you but I just I get this bubble gut thinking about the draft because it just it really hurt my soul but before we really get into that I know you talked about analytics being your bread and butter but what are some things you kind of key in on now that we're post-draft to kind of help differentiate the prospects I mean landing spots one or not landing spot draft capital is one of the biggest ones um, because I know a lot of people coming into the draft thought this was overall a very weak running back class you know, there was the big three. There was maybe a couple other guys that some people like between Kenneth Gainwell and Trey Sermon and uh, Michael Carter. But then after that, it was like a really steep drop. And it was a steep drop from the top three down to just those three other players that I named and then a steep drop off of that. And so it was one of the things that I think a lot of people were really trying to see is, does the NFL believe the same thing in terms of how they value these players in terms of draft capital? Are we going to see, because it's a weaker class, more of these running backs get bumped up um, unnecessarily because it is weaker, and so they they just want to grab a guy, their guy, and it's done? Or like what we actually saw, four running backs go in the first three rounds, and then you know the rest of them are just kind of hoping and praying in rounds you know four, five, six, and seven, and some of them like Jarrett Patterson, you know, went undrafted, just signed today with the Washington Football Team. And it's crazy. So that draft capital is super, super important. Um, you know, check the boxes for obviously the big three was really good for Trey Sermon. Um, and a lot of the other guys drop pretty hard, even though they still have pretty good landing spots, drop pretty hard just because of that draft capital. Wide receivers is pretty much the same thing because wide receiver was really weird. I think this year, because 
we saw guys like Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Seth Williams, Tamorian Terry, you know, a bunch of these wide receivers fall <laughs> really, really hard, not just to day three, but fall really hard in day three and some being undrafted. And then all these other like weird guys, like I, I probably would have expected Anthony Schwartz to get drafted pretty highly just because of that speed. But, you know, Tutu Atwell got bumped up to second round. Yeah. Um, and uh, Josh Palmer. Day yeah. Two like draft all capital. these really weird really incredible stuff. Yeah. Tight end kind of happened the same thing. Like Brevin Jordan slipped really hard to the point where I don't even know who some of these tight ends are who got drafted over him. Yeah. Insane. uh, So this is, yeah, this was a really weird draft and draft capital is going to be super, super important uh, for a lot of these guys. And, And on the flip side though, the draft capital I think is not as big of a marker for some of the guys who I feel like don't deserve that draft capital. Right. I would be. So that's going to be a really fun uh, kind of pool to wade through for the rest of, of the off, the rest of the summer with rookie drafts and everything and, and trying to decipher out just how good this class yeah. actually is. Cause yeah. I don't even know if it's that good. It's extremely top heavy, but yeah. you know, after like the first like nine, 10 picks in a super flex, you're, you're really starting to get, get in there. You know, yeah. it's, it's rough. Once you're looking at the two Oh six, I compared to last year and this year, you know, last year you had people like Brian Edwards, people like um, even Denzel Mims, Antonio Gibson were slipping down there. Mm-hmm. This year you're looking at Kadarius Tony, people like Chris. Kenneth Gainwell, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I don't, I don't love any of that, you know? And it's like, I, I, I was, I was saying before the draft, I said, this draft needs to save this class to be good. Like we need excellent landing spots. We need just incredible killer spots that are going to boost up these players. And instead what we got are these landing spots that cap just about every single ceiling on every single player coming in. Like even chase is capped a little bit now and it's, it's not an indictment on him at all, but it's just, you know, how much can you expect when he's also vying for targets with T Higgins and, you know, so I think they're going to be great. But I think if he landed in a set in a different spot, Miami, Detroit, something like that, it would have been a little different. Kyle Pitts, I think, was the only one that elevated as a skill position, not a quarterback, you know. And I, it's funny because we we got to now decipher Josh Palmer, uh, Tutu Atwell, Anthony Schwartz, and then also kind of say, well, where does Amon Ross St. Brown fit in? Where does Tylen Wallace fit in? Where does Michael Carter fit in, right? Like we knew coming into day three that these players were going to have not great draft capital, but really good opportunity. Michael Carter being probably the the king of the running backs because it's the Jets. Who, who's he going to fight against? A Michael P. Ryan, Tevin Coleman? Okay. So Michael Carter comes in with an early day three draft capital, but what do you see there? I get, he's so hard to differentiate. He was a riser for me. I don't know about you, but he was a Absolutely. riser. And then a Monroe St. Brown is, I feel like that's a really hot name right now. Because like <laughs> yes. he's, he's battling against warm bodies, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's hard though because for at least for Amon Ra, like he's a slot guy, almost primarily. Like you know, like a big body slot guy, like a Jordan Matthews, Juju Schuster. So and and that's that's not a a position on the wide receiver depth chart that the Lions already had. You know, they have the outside guy and Tyrell Williams and Brashad Perriman. I think are are two outside guys. Amon Ross slides in there. The only problem is, as that slot receiver, he'll be fighting for targets with Hawk and DeAndre Swift, right? who were already 
probably going to soak up a good majority of the targets from that from Jared Goff. Yep. And Jared Goff has had an affinity to throw short to intermediate routes. That was a lot of in the Sean McVay offense, though. I don't know how much that changes going to Detroit, uh, or if that was really a Jared Goff thing. So it, it's going to be really interesting because a lot of people really like that Amon Ra got the bad draft capital, but on a good team that slid him down and that is sliding him down in rookie drafts. Yeah. So then the people who did believe in him pre-draft have a better opportunity to grab him rather than him being, you know, a second round guy to the, to Detroit and him now all of a sudden being talked about as, well, do you take him or Jalen Waddle or do you take him uh, or, you know, even to the point where it's him or Rashad Bateman, like that would have been a much different conversation if he was a second round pick to Detroit versus being that fourth round pick to Detroit. So yes, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be really, really hard. I think for a lot of people to really differentiate a lot of these players absolutely after a certain point, that second round is going to be so different for everybody. (laughs) It it is going to be wide open. It It is prime for, trading up and trading back just because of the variety of players available. You know, Trey Sermon is consistently going to a one to two ten right now. And that's insane to me. Mm-hmm. I think that's great value for him. You know, I, a lot of people are going to be wanting to push up these day three guys above some of these day two guys. And, you know, for the folks like the Anthony Schwartz, the Josh Palmer two, two, I, I can get on board with that, but I'm not, I'm not pushing a Monroe St. Brown up above anyone drafted in day two outside those three wide receivers personally, because Peter Howard did a a study from 2009 on fantasy or anyone with a draft capital fourth round or later, including undrafted free agents contribute to 20, 26% of the fantasy football pool. And if you take up quarterbacks, then it's 28, I believe percent. So like that that Mm -hmm. section, that pie is really, really small. And and with only, I think we had 24 players draft, like skill players drafted in the first three rounds. It, you're, you're really kind of struggling that 207 mark because you're, you're really trying to differentiate. Do I go Monroe St. Brown, less draft capital, slightly more opportunity? Or am I looking for like Anthony Schwartz, aging wide, aging wide receivers, not a really necessarily three wide receiver set friendly system, but I'm fast kick return, punt returns. So who were some of your biggest risers right now out of the draft? Biggest risers for me. The the first one, uh, just to hit on quarterback real quick, was Trey Lance, just to kind of confirm that he he was the San Francisco 49ers guy that they were targeting um, because he, he rose a lot for me because if he didn't go to San Fran, we have questions now about where would he have actually landed up? Would he Would somebody have pulled the trigger on him like Carolina or Denver? Would uh, another team like Washington or maybe Chicago would have traded up for him uh, or New England? You know, all like it's a it's a whole different conversation that we're talking about Trey Lance if he was not the pick at three. So him being the San Francisco 49ers quarterback makes him my QB two in this class. Um, just like if you ask me again in next week, it might be Justin Fields. Um, the reason why I give Lance the edge at least initially, I think he starts sooner. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a worse quarterback than Andy Dalton. So I think Lance starts sooner. Um, I also think that the Niners want him to start sooner, giving up as much as they gave up, and he is their guy. Better weapons. um, I trust Ayuk and Debo and Kittle way more than I do A-Rob and Darnell Mooney and and David Montgomery out of the backfield. 
Um, and then I trust Shanahan more than I trust Matt Nagy, who it seems like Nagy's still going to be tied to the Bears for at least a couple more years. So all that just I, that gives the edge to me for Trey Lance. On top of the rushing ability, I think Lance is much more of a runner than Justin Fields. I think Fields is kind of more pass first, but has that rushing ability. So Lance is at least one of the biggest risers. Um, Michael Carter was another riser for me. Not so much in terms of where I had him ranked. He was my RB5 pre-draft, my RB4 post-draft. But to me, um, it's it's more the the fact of what every what happened to every other running back. Like Gainwell fell, Chuba fell. Sermon was like, all right, I wasn't in, really in on Sermon pre-draft. Um, so he's just kind of there. But Carter solidified himself to me as the post-draft RB4 after the big three just because he has the best landing spot. He's right. going to start, like, and he's going to be the guy. And I think he's also a really, really good running back. So those, those I think, are the two biggest risers. You, you hit on Kyle Pitts being the, um, the best probably landing spot for a positional player, and I do agree with that. Uh, because you know maybe Julio Jones does get traded before the start of the year, in which case Kyle Pitts is going to be like a second round startup pick, right. um, and then even then, maybe something happens next year. Like Pitts has a lot of room to grow in that offense, mm-hmm. so I think that's what a lot of people really really like about that landing spot for him. So we'll we'll just have to see if it all actually translates, um, and if he ends up going like the Eric Ebron route, or if he turns into Gronk Kelsey you know, Kittle here in, in a year or two. The nice thing about Pitts too is like, what, what are they going to do for offense? They have Mac, Mike, Mike Davis, Ooh, JV and Hawkins right. undrafted. So like, they're going to throw a lot. They're going to, they're going to put Pitts out wide in those three wide receiver sets, probably Jimmy Graham esque, you know, mm. uh, I, I trust that coaching staff to at least know what they're doing offensively defensive. Mm-hmm. It's a cluster always and that's better for Pitts, right like they're going to probably lead the league in pass attempts this year again and that's perfect that's what you want in fantasy for me i i think my biggest riser because i had sermon running back four it's not going to change now uh i had elijah moore running or wide receiver six and now i have him wide receiver three uh i i'm really high on elijah moore and i think there's a, a nuance to that personally where it's going to come down to the Jets cutting Jim, Jameson Crowder as a cap casualty. Yeah. If they don't, then obviously I need to reevaluate. But right now I'm I'm factoring that into that ranking because I think that if Jameson Crowder leaves that offense, then that gives Elijah Moore a 80 target floor minimum coming in. And I think he is more than able to maximize those targets as is. And then, as he progresses and kind of grows in the offense, I think you're going to see him oscillate between as a Z and a slot wide receiver. Cause I think Corey Davis probably won't be around too long. And I think Elijah Moore has the talent to su- succeed outside. It, it's yet to be seen if he's going to be able to against these NFL types, but he definitely has the ability. So I, I like him a lot. I like him over Smith. I like him over Waddle. Uh, I like him over Bateman just because in a PPR league, I think he's going to be an absolute, just a, a, a target machine. And he's got the yak ability to take a, take a, a pass to the house anytime. He's, he's someone I'm really excited about right now. Terrace Marshall is as well. Uh, he's not as big of a riser because I've already ranked him pretty highly. I'm not going to change that for tight ends. I mean, that was a clusterfuck, man. <laughs> 
<laughs> it was like, pits and then it was fryer meat and then and then it was then it was just yeah a, a bomb like okay yeah. so hunter long and miami's kind of exciting if they don't extend gasecki mm-hmm. but like who's he now he's gonna be what the the third or fourth wide receiving option there yep like okay i i guess that's exciting at a premium you know i i'm i'm happy you yeah, I, I kinda right and like <laughs> we're, we're, we're pulling at threads right now like Honestly, last year's tight end class is more exciting than this year's tight end class, excluding Pitts to me. And I love Fryermuth. I think on the Steelers, it's a great spot for him long-term. But I'm not going to tell you to go draft him in your rookie drafts because you're going to be able to get him in a year and a half much cheaper uh, mm-hmm. because it's just – he's not – he is doesn't have the draft capital that is that historically says that he's going to hit in the first two years. If you get drafted in the first round – you're likely to break the top 12 as a tight end. Um, I think it's 25% your first year and then 40% your second year. So Fryermuth is on that three-year that three year plane, which is great. I like him, but I'm not going to spend high capital. I think my biggest faller for this draft has got to be uh, – it's got to be Tylen Wallace, I think, just because he, he goes to the Ravens, which is going to be a ridiculous – mind numbing sort of just trying to figure out how to find the equilibrium between low passing volume, high talent, but now he's in there behind Hollywood. He's in there behind Bateman. He's, he's now like the, the fifth option. Yeah. So where, where does he fit in? I don't, I don't see him even remotely getting a, a shot in the next two years unless Hollywood Brown gets injured or something. And even then, I I really like him, but I hated that spot for him. And then I uh, I also I bumped down Rondale Moore from four to six, and that's just because mm-hmm. other people had a better spot, in my opinion. I don't trust Cliff Klingsbury. I know that Rondale Moore is going to do great. I just think there's five other wide receivers that are have a likelihood of doing better. But I think Nico Collins for me is my the happiest pick I had was when he went to Houston. I don't know how you feel about Nico, but I'm very excited about Nico Collins. Uh, imagine liking a Michigan wide receiver. <laughs> so it's a, it is a 2021 world, baby. It's a 2021 world. <laughs> I did not like Nico Collins pre-draft. Um, and Houston is fine, I guess. You know, they can – really comes down to what they're doing at the quarterback position. Cause if, if you're telling me Nico Collins is a wide receiver two in the Texans offense with Deshaun Watson, like it's a very different conversation than he's the wide receiver two in a non Deshaun Watson Texans offense. Absolutely. And um, so, yeah, I just, I, all those wide receivers for me are in like one big giant group. You like who you like. And I'm probably, my honest advice when you get to that point is to try to see if you can just go and kick the can down the road to 2022. Like 2022 is also doesn't look like a fantastic class, but taking a second round shot on any of those wide receivers to me just screams like a negative EV type of move that you could just like, I don't think it's, it's a good value move or a good move in dynasty in general you should just kick it down to 2022. If 2022 is the exact same thing, kick it down to 2023. Like one, one of these years, we're going to have a good enough class to where that value should make sense. Yeah. And 
it doesn't make sense to me to make that type of a move this this year you know getting one of those i i would rather trade for like jarvis landry with that second round pick or you know some other other type of veteran wide receiver than just like going for you know anthony schwartz or nico collins or Dwayne eskridge or you know like amari rogers all them right yeah. Yep. All of them. Rogers would probably be at the top of the list for me. Like if, it, yeah. if, if you're looking at all of them and you have to pick one, there's like legitimately, there's no um, offers and there's, there's no type of interest for your pick. And Rogers is there. Amari Rogers would probably just be my pick just in terms of sheer opportunity yeah. and yeah. And ceiling. And you're just hoping that he lands a wide receiver two spot and Aaron Rodgers is still there and you're good to go. Yeah, I mean, that's I I agree because I, for for Nico and Rogers, they're the top of the list of that tier, right? If you all of a sudden your early second round draft pick is not looking great because you're so what I would suggest doing is it, kicking the can down. If you can turn that early second into a twenty twenty two first, I would hit that easily. And if I if no one's gonna happen, <laughs> I, I, you know what it it depends on how much people listen to people like Ray GQ and people like that, because he's been driving the hammer of how bad the 2022 class is and everyone's starting to get into locks lockstep. So if they're like, Oh, it's not a very good class. I'm just going to go up and get the known over the unknown. I think that's worth a shot. Or you just take your early second, you trade back in like 206, 207, you get a second next year and then you can just pluck a player from the class. Um, yeah. It, it's tough. Like Nico Collins, you can't evaluate him and assume Deshaun Watson is going to be his quarterback. So you're no. basically punting this year with the hope that they're bad enough where they can get a Sam Howell or a Spencer Rattler next year, which is realistic if Deshaun Watson doesn't play a snap because that roster is a dumpster fire. And yes. And so it's tough. Do and they have on. a first next year? I, well, Oh Lord, do they not? <laughs> they may not. That's going to hurt my feelings. Uh, so it Houston Texans first round draft pick. I really hope they do. <laughs> Otherwise, that just blows my entire theory out of the water. 2022. But I hope they do. I want them to, damn it. (laughs) Uh, But if if they don't, then I just – I'm probably going to be out on Nico for a little bit, unfortunately, because that just hurts my feelings Yeah, this is from six days ago. Early look at quarterbacks the Texans could take in 2022, and it literally says Sam Howell and Spencer Rattler. Yeah, okay. So the theory lives – I'm not that I know what I'm talking about, folks. We are good here. <laughs> I just, I just make it, it's it's no, a I safe assumption it. to assume that Houston might not have their first. It is a very safe <laughs> assumption because they have no idea what they're doing, even with BOB not there. And for Mari Rogers, you have you either have the Aaron Rodgers like hype or you have the Jordan Love safety blanket. Like his A dot is like Rondale Moore, really close to the line of scrimmage. So Jordan Love isn't gonna be a good quarterback. He's gonna want to check down a lot. And so it's gonna be great for Mari Rogers. But again, we're, there's a lot of things that need to go a specific way to be successful. And I'm not really in the business of prioritizing that sort of projections over other players. So we're, we're kicking that can way down the field. Who's your, who's your biggest faller of the draft, would you say? Uh, probably Kenneth Gainwell. Uh, I had him as my RB4. And he'll honestly, he probably still slides in as like my six or seven post-draft. I haven't actually sat down and like done full running back rankings after the top five, but he didn't go to the worst spot in Philly. He's probably going to take over the Boston Scott role. If Miles Sanders gets hurt, 
you know, we're talking about a guy who could potentially be the new Miles Sanders for however long that is that Sanders is out. They're, they are pretty similar, uh, in, in my opinion, in terms of play style. So he fell, but he's still interesting to me. I would have much rather seen him, A, get day two draft capital, B, land in a better spot where he could ascend a depth chart quicker if it wasn't like a Atlanta Jets, Steelers, uh, or even like Arizona would have been fine for me those types of situations, those would have been the preferred, the priority uh, for me for Gainwell didn't happen. We got what we got with Philly. Um, so he fell. <laughs> uh, Tylen Wallace was another one too, because I had him as my wide receiver six in this class. I really, really liked what Tylen Wallace could bring to the board and going to Baltimore. Like you said, everything that literally echoing everything that you said, <laughs> Um, I think there's opportunity down the road, but if he's not doing anything in his first two years, then we're like, I don't think there's any value in, in taking him because yeah, I agree. It's, it's not going to happen. So those two for me, yeah. Yeah. Those two for me are probably the, the biggest fallers for me after the draft uh, just because landing spot, not so much landing spot, but draft capital wrecked them. Yeah. And Tyler Wallace, when we went through round three, Without Tyler Wallace's name being heard, I was really, really sad. <laughs> Especially after those last eight picks of the third round, you're like, "Come on, they got a Titans, got to go someone. The Chargers got to right. go someone." There's like defense, defense. You're like, "What are we doing, yeah. here, folks? Why do you now, hate all me? these other wide receivers?" I'm like, "Where is Tylen Wallace? Uh huh. Where's Amon Ross St. Brown? Like, what are we missing? It, yeah. it, so it's got to be the lack of athleticism for Amon Ra, and it's got to be the injury history history for Tylen Wallace because I I truly don't know what else. They had great profiles otherwise. Um, I think also it's worth mentioning. Uh, I was wrong about Jamar Jefferson and Tamarion Terry. I'm the first to admit it. I. Also, I, I, I know I issued a correction because I was high on them pre for pre um pro or pro days and they disappointed severely and then they disappointed severely on the draft day. So they fell really far for me. Mac Jones also dropped from three to five just because I I can't keep him at three when he's throwing to tight ends. I can't do it. <laughs> I just I can't. You know, I, I, it's yeah. not something I'm going to do. So I'm, I dropped him to five and hopefully they'll figure out down the road. I still think he's going to be a fine quarterback. Just his upside is definitely, definitely kind of hindered quite a bit. Gainwell's fun to talk about because you're going to get people calling him Darren Sproles, which I think is a mistake, but yeah. to his credit, at least Miles Sanders, whether it was Wentz or Sanders, there was an issue with the pass catching work. So, you know, it's not out of the world to expect Gainwell to get four or five targets a game. And, like, he definitely has the sauce to turn that into something. Mm -hmm. It just hurts if you had him ranked highly like running back four because now you got to drop him like six or seven. Mm -hmm. And then you got also got to wonder for the people that are going to do backflips to keep him at four. So I think he's going to be a really weird prospect to grab moving forward. Before we head off this topic, which one was your very favorite landing spot? Which prospect did you like found a home and you're like this, this is it. Send tweet and close the draft down. We've made it folks. It's hard not to say Najee. Like that's like, it's, it's, that's what sucks about this draft is because like you have the top guys and then a bunch of bleh for everybody else. So like the best landing spot 
favorite landing spot probably has to be Najee. I really, really like Javante to the Broncos as well. I think a lot of people are kind of down on that because he's at least initially sharing with Melvin Gordon. But I think he really takes over that backfield by the end of the year. Gordon's probably not there next year. And um, I, I really, really like Javante Williams as a full, complete three-down running back. And I think that's what the Broncos drafted him to be. So I'm just hoping that he gets that utilization um, by the end of the year. Or maybe I maybe I shouldn't hope that he does because then people are going to be really in on him, kind of like Cam Akers and stuff, or J.K. Dobbins. Uh, and his price might soar going into next year. But it might already be doing that anyway. Uh, yeah. Javante Williams, my initial reaction was, fuck, I hate this. And I was like, oh, wait, hold on, hold on. Melvin Gordon's aging. He's starting to age out. The Broncos have a great offense. So I, I'm really happy he found that spot there. You know, he's he's going to thrive, that's for sure. So, Addison, do you want to play a game? <laughs> is it Saw? It do is Saw. play a game like that? We're playing, we're playing a Saw game. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. To the 2021 Rotor Ball Contest. All right, everybody. So we are going to have Addison tell you about his Rotor Ball lineup. But before he does that, I'm going to very briefly break down what we are talking about for those that aren't aware. So about three, four months ago, I had an idea. What if you took a DFS and best ball, smushed it together, created it into a gremlin, and made it only rookies? So what Addison has is he has to fill a lineup of eight, one quarterback, one running back, one wide receiver, five flex. It is a PPR tight end premium league, non-super flex. Each player has a price and the prices have been updated to reflect their draft capital. So Addison has a $22,000 budget and he has to fill out his entire squad. Difficult? Yes. Impossible? No. There's no free cake here. You can't have your cake and eat it too with rotor ball. That's just how it is, baby. So Addison, how did you, what was your approach here setting up your lineup? My approach here was to try to get as many studs as possible from this class. Uh, because I really, really think that you need to be able to have those top stud guys to be able to have any time. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to be predicting you know, the Nico Collinses and the Amon Ross St. Browns and the Amari Rogers. Like, I don't want to be predicting that. I want to go with the guys that I, I feel very, very strongly are going to produce well. And then I'm going to take dart throws at the end. So it's a very studs and duds approach that I took with this roster. Who, who did you end up taking then? So to run down through my lineup, uh, like you said, one quarterback, running back, wide receiver, five flex. So my quarterback is Trey Lance. Um, I just decided to go with, a guy who I thought was going to have probably – it's funny because I was like, who could probably play the most after Trevor Lawrence? Like, who has the best chance of playing 16, 17 games? Zach Wilson was probably at the second best because I think he just – there's nobody else on that Jets roster. So it's going to be Zach Wilson. And I was like, yeah, and I thought Trey Lance. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go with Trey Lance because I think that he starts earlier than Justin Fields. I think he's got a good shot of starting at least 12 or more games. And I like the rushing upside that he presents in a better offense than what Zach Wilson has over a full potential season with his weapons and lack of 
Trey Lance rushing upside. <laughs> so I went with Trey Lance. I like it. Uh, I spent up a little bit, just a little bit more than what Zach Wilson was. Uh, but I went with that. Running back and wide receiver was easy. I, I needed my studs, so I grabbed Najee Harris and Jamar Chase. I was like, you know what? Plug, play, done. We're good there. Um, so then the flex became really difficult because I already have spent $14,500 on my first three positions out of the 22000 uh, So I had to mess around with some of the values and, and the budget prices, um, try to find some, some values, some steals. My first one I went with was Michael Carter. Um, I felt really good about Michael Carter as a potential starting running back for the Jets, just in terms of having volume and opportunity. I liked what he had at his price point. Um, the second player I went with was Pat Fryermuth. This was a tight end premium. He was only a thousand bucks. The only other tight end after Kyle Pitts that really meant something in this class in terms of draft capital and landing spot. Not expecting a whole lot from the Steelers because he is probably the tight end two behind Ebron. Uh, but I think he could be out there because he is a, a really good blocker um, and they could need help doing that. So I think that helps get him on the field early. But he's also a really good pass catcher as well. And a lot of people have comped him to what Heath Miller was able to do for the Steelers back you know, just a decade ago, um, which isn't fantastic. But if you're talking about a guy who can just you know, kind of like Zach Ertz more recently – get to the first down line, turn around, catch the ball, go another couple yards, and then fall forward. That is what Pat Frymuth most likely will bring to the table in this offense, even though I think that he can do a little bit more. Uh, but at least for year one, I like what he can bring that in, in that way. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell was the other one we talked about just as a Boston Scott-type role, maybe potential for more if Miles Sanders does get hurt. Javion Hawkins um, was my, my real big running back dart throw. Uh, just to kind of throw that one in there because, again, starters get hurt. I, I like that opportunity for Javion Hawkins. And then finally went with just Tutu Atwell, was a 1000 bucks. I was like, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to roll with it, see what happens as a complete dart throw in that Rams offense, um, and maybe trust the draft capital a little bit in that one, even though they just literally took Van Jefferson in the second round last year too. So I don't, I don't really know what to make of that uh, and those two players. But I was like, you know what? For a thousand bucks, helps get me under budget. I'm just gonna roll the dice on two two. I don't. I don't think they know what they're doing either. Quite frankly, we there's a reason they're trading away their picks, and it's it is evident right now to me personally. Uh, yeah, I I love that Hawkins pick, man. That is gonna be a fun one, especially if you know Mike Davis. He's a great placeholder. It seems like in the NFL, unfortunately, and so he him and Hawkins and there's a couple other players that are just kind of Brian there. Still there. Yeah. Brian Hill. So the, the opportunity is ripe, especially for electric play player like Hawkins, definitely one of the guys that we struggled finding a price for just because of his potential opportunity. Right. Yeah. If you're talking about a guy who could like James Robinson, it like just in terms of depth chart and opportunity and talent, it could be JV and Hawkins this year. Yeah. There's a couple other names that, or come to mind as well, but I'm just, I'm going to keep them for future podcasts because I want them to get them in my rookie drafts. Cause I'm selfish. Uh, <laughs> but before we head out, is there a hot take you want to throw down a hill you want to stand on? Rashad Bateman's landing spot in Baltimore is not as bad as you think. I appreciate you so much, Addison. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. All right. Uh, where can the good people find you? What are you working on? What do you got coming out shortly? Uh, yeah. I mean, everything that I do is posted on Twitter at amazehaze underscore, go check out the DLF YouTube channel, subscribe. Uh, we're going to be diving into a bunch of these, uh, 
you know, rookie landing spots, rookie drafts uh, with the ADP and stuff from DLF. Ryan McDowell uh, will be on there as well. A bunch of other trades. Manic and Chilla, Shane Manila, Scott Connor, just all of the DLF YouTube stuff uh, that we got going on over there. And uh, I think, oh, uh, pick up the Dynasty Draft Guide, the DLF Dynasty Draft Guide. You can get it 100% free if you're a DLF Premium member, or you can go to DynastyDraftGuide.com and purchase it as a standalone product for, I think, $25. Bucks. Um, we're actively working on updates for it right now, post-draft. Uh, so those will be updated here in the next couple of weeks but it's got a lot of awesome other, you know, kind of evergreen content information for your startup drafts. If a lot of you guys in, are in your leagues that you were trying to form wanted to start and wait after the NFL draft. So uh, go pick that up. There's a lot of awesome stuff um, from just pre-draft, but now we're updating it for post-draft and that should be coming shortly. I, uh, I definitely suggest you guys to do that because DLF always puts out great products. Everyone, you know where you can find me? You can find me on Twitter at VFFSandman. You can find my Debbie writings at Breakup Finder. You can find my Dynasty and Redraft writings on FFAffair.com. You can find the metrics breakdown of the Debbie analytics side for Debbie Deep Dive with Brandon Lejeune and Corey P. Corey, I'll figure out how to say your last name eventually, but it's French and I'm not that well at speaking but everyone thank you so much for joining i really really appreciate it i appreciate your time appreciate your attention and as always if you leave a comment review rate take a picture of it and ask me a question and i will be happily to answer on the next show dms are always open folks so hop on in thank y'all and peace